I am wild about all kinds of berries Black and blue and raz and straw and red But most of all I like to guzzle cherries <laughs> Me too And I eat them every night in bed I like to eat, I like to eat, I like to eat, I like to eat, and no matter what it is, I like to eat. Now I can sing the praises of pistachios. And I eat them till I almost bust And I also like pecans and cashews Yes, indeed, I sure love my nuts I like to eat, I like to eat I like to eat, I like to eat And no matter what it is, I like to Apples, pears, and peaches Anything like that will always suit The desire so far inside me reaches That I'm simply lost without my fruit I like to eat, I like to eat I like to eat, I like to eat And no matter what it is, I like to That when I'm all through eating, I still like to nibble on the skin. I like to eat, I like to eat, I like to eat, I like to eat, and no matter what it is, I like to eat. You're listening to WVEWLP Brattleboro 107.7 FM, your community radio station, also streaming live online at WVEW.org. That song was I Love My Fruit by the Sweet Violet. Boys, they're better known as the Prairie Ramblers. And I was looking up queer country and queer queer rural songs, and I came across this one and says that um, it says that I love my fruit full of sexual innuendo certainly was scandalous for the year 1939. Little is known about the Sweet Violet Boys or their true sexualities, but it would be strange for a group of straight men in the 1930s to risk their careers, if not their lives, in order to masquerade as queer cowboys. So there's a little history for you as we head into this show um, with Out in the Open and looking at health and uh, rural LGBTQ issues. This is Indigo Radio. We are a group of educators seeking to learn through engaging with others in our community and throughout the world. You can also find us on Facebook at Indigo Radio and on Instagram. Our shows are recorded and will be uploaded to our SoundCloud and iTunes. The views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the host and guests, not the radio station. Good morning, everyone. This is Anna for Indigo Radio. And Wanted to let our listeners know that starting next week, 
we are going to be moving back to Sundays at noon, and we will continue to replay our shows on Mondays at 2 p.m. So today I air an interview I did this week with Noah Isabella and Frank Osten, both health justice organizers with Out in the Open. Many of our listeners will know Out in the Open as they're based right here in the local area and do a lot of work around LGBTQ plus issues. They are also doing regional work throughout Vermont and also in Waldo County, Maine. And for those of you that don't know Out in the Open, it's an organization working to connect rural LGBTQ plus people to build community, visibility, knowledge, and power. Noah and Frank talked to us today about the HEART program. HEART stands for Health, Equity, and Access for Rural TLGBQ plus people. The program aims to address common healthcare barriers faced by transgender, lesbian, gay, bisexual, and queer people in Vermont. I also talked with Noah and Frank about rural health in general, anti-trans legislation, and messages that they have for queer youth. Thanks everyone for joining us today and enjoy the show. Noah and Frank, thank you for being here with us uh, on Indigo Radio. And I would love for you just to start by introducing yourselves and also to talk about what your particular role is at Out in the Open. Hi, <laughs> my name's Noah Isabella. Um, I use they, them pronouns. I work at Out in the Open as one of the health justice organizers, and my role is to support LGBTQ folks up in the Northeast Kingdom. And I am a queer social justice educator, organizer, and I come from a background in peer support. So um, I'm trained in intentional peer support and trauma-informed facilitation practices. So yeah, it's been really exciting to get to collaborate with Frank in this capacity. That's great. Thank you. And can I ask, how long have you been working with Out in the Open? Um, I've been at Out in the Open since February. So I'm, I'm new. Great. Thank you. And Frank? Yeah, I'm Frank Austin. I use he, him pronouns. I grew up rural and queer and have been working in Southern Vermont area for the past five years. My background is in harm reduction and um, sex education. And my role at Out in the Open is also as health justice organizer, although I'm working in Southern Vermont in the Wyndham County area. Um, and I'm also new since February. All right. Well, lots to talk about because also knowing both of your backgrounds too in uh, issues such as harm reduction, peer support, these are so essential uh, to be talking about. I teach in public health at Clark University and part of that class will get into these peer support systems and harm reduction has definitely been a topic of conversation. So I'm really looking forward to hearing your thoughts on that too. I, I think where I would like to start is if you could really give us an overview of what are some of the health struggles, barriers that LGBTQ people face in rural areas. If you could kind of like lay out the, the terrain of that. Yeah, I can start and then know if you want to add on to it. I think one of the biggest barriers that 
rural folks in particular face is feelings of isolation and actual physical isolation from healthcare. There's less providers around, things are farther away. Um, and so it's harder in general to find people who not only can meet your physical health needs, but can also meet them in a way that is compassionate and engaging with your multiple identities. Yeah. And so I think isolation is one of the bigger barriers that folks face. Yeah. And I, I, right. I'd like to add to that often when we don't find providers that are near us um, in rural spaces, we have to travel far. So a lot of folks uh, go to Burlington or a similar um, larger town to access healthcare, which sort of increases the need for reliable transportation to get to those um, providers. And also I think that they're you know, historically it has been a lack of community support and advocacy around this specific need. I think intersectionality um, came into sort of collective consciousness um, in the past maybe five years or more. And I think that more and more we're, we're getting to the point where we're asking, okay, if people are multiply marginalized, meaning that, right, we're experiencing being from a rural place, um, which comes with its own sets of barriers, and also being queer, or being trans, or or and or being a person of color with those identities, it increases the barriers often um, for folks. And so I think organizations across Vermont are um, starting to dig deep into what does that actually mean to advocate for people who aren't getting their needs met and have very specific identities and sometimes specific needs, but not always. Um, there's lots of queer, trans, Black folks that I know who can't find a PCP that isn't racist, right? That's an intersectional issue and barrier. So yeah, I think there's lots to talk about in this space around sort of what are the the actual specific things that people are facing on the, on a daily basis that are connected to these larger systems. Yeah, for sure. And my background is work at a crisis center around gender violence and uh, intimate partner violence, probably most specifically. And so I know well the barriers to queer and trans people that are trying to reach out to crisis centers. A lot of my work actually has been around what does it what does intimate partner violence look like in rural areas? So my study was in rural Vermont. And the isolation piece, Frank, that you talked about is one of the key things that they talk around, like the difference between urban, urban and rural. But like what you're also saying, both of you, is then added on a marginalized identity is further barriers. And so I, I really see this in the world of intimate partner violence, where specifically trans uh, identified folk are not often getting the services they need. And so not only are they like geographically isolated, but they also often are turned away from a crisis center. Yeah, I was just gonna to add to that too. Like I think one of, and, and I'm sure you know this more than most, like one of the most enormous barriers I feel like folks have who have queer or trans identity or, and, and a specific, you know, especially a, an identity that is black or brown is that when folks are trying to gain access to specifically crisis support, which is something that the HEART program does not do, that often that support notifies police, which we know that that is a very often deadly thing to do. So yeah, I think that that's right. Separate from our work, but definitely um, a huge, huge present 
conversation I think that's happening across the country, not just in Vermont, but in, especially in rural spaces where the crisis response and uh, mental health support especially can feel sparse. For sure. Yeah, go ahead, Frank. Yeah, I want to circle back to this conversation around isolation, because in rural spaces, families of origin are often people's, one of people's biggest supports. And we also know that it's true that uh, queer folks are often really estranged or isolated from their families of origin. And so one of the things that I think the HEART program is trying to bring in is more community and more peer support for folks who are feeling isolation in general, but also just to recognize that this support structure that a lot of people in rural spaces might rely on for a lot of the needs that needs that we're trying to meet are actually supports that folks aren't having access to as readily. Could I have one of you tell us what the HEART program is? Uh, what it stands for, and then give us kind of an overview of what that program is. The HEART program intends to address common barriers faced by TLGBTQ plus folks, such as like we've been talking about transportation, isolation, and community support. And this support is can be really broad, so it can span from co-working time on Zoom with a volunteer to having um, volunteer support with transportation to and from a medical appointment or um, advocacy like note-taking or asylum support during appointments. Yeah, the support is is broad and really meant to be led and driven by the participants. I think one of the most important values that Frank and I and are trying to instill in this program is, is that folks deserve to have autonomy over their own medical care and deserve to make decisions for themselves around what feels right for their bodies and for their care. And so, and I also think that oftentimes when we ask for support, we get advice. (laughs) And I think that can be helpful sometimes. And other times it's really helpful to have a listening ear or a thought partner or someone who can just, yeah, have your back in moments that feel, that bring up worry or fear or yeah, are actually potentially not safe. So that is that is the heart program in a nutshell. Frank, do you want to add anything? Yeah, I just want to like speak a bit to the structure of the program in that we're working with a team of trained volunteers who are going to be responding to support requests that are coming in from the community. Yeah. So it's a it's a peer run program um, and the support requests are self-identified. And then we're matching folks up with someone who can support them. Okay, I really love this a lot. So, and then what's the geographical area that you're covering? Okay, so we're working toward covering the Northeast Kingdom. The program is just about launching in Wyndham County. The support requests are going live mid-May and our cohort of volunteers are being trained tomorrow, actually. And so Wyndham County is, I think, let yeah, I think we can say Wyndham County is being covered right now, and the Northeast Kingdom will be covered in the near future. Okay. Does that feel true, Noah, or do you want to? As we're expanding into the Northeast Kingdom, we're specifically focusing on Washington County, Orleans County, and Caledonia County, um, and we are actively seeking volunteers. Um, so if folks are located in or around that area, 
we'll have details later about how you can get connected. But we, yeah, absolutely are looking for community members that want to, yeah, have a little bit more infrastructure in place to support the people they're in community with. Yeah, that's really wonderful. And as a volunteer, does it matter how you identify? Is Is it open to anyone? Yes, it's open to anyone. During our training, we focus on intentional peer support. We focus on harm reduction. And we also talk about what it means to um, value and honor um, folks' identities as we support them. So yeah. folks are, yeah, have access to, to training to help facilitate authentic relationships that feel good. Okay. Like I had mentioned, so I'm in public health and a lot of the, some of the teaching I do is on, um, community health education and so community supports. And so we talk a lot about the lessons, say, from the Black Panthers health activism or the Young Lords health activism and different groups that have really put in a a community model of taking care of each other. And this program reminds me of, uh, so Paul Farmer, he, he recently passed, but he was kind of a leader in global health. And he did a lot of work in Haiti and he really came from an understanding of understanding suffering and disease within like a political economic model. So like understanding like the historical context and the political and social context of suffering. One of the things that he did in Haiti, which had really, really high rates of TB and HIV was they noticed that they were finally getting medicines and they were having trouble though with people continuing to take the medicines. And so they started this program called this accompaniment program in which they paired up people with someone and it was volunteer, like what you all are doing, of checking in on the person, making sure they took their medication, going with them to an appointment. And they had amazing success with it. And I so I feel like these models are so important to try and put in place because of the failures of our healthcare systems. So I love that this is happening. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I don't know, like, you know, if we can say the heart program is inspired by, but I know that in my own framework around health justice, the young Lords are pillars of my understanding. And it feels worth mentioning that the idea for this program came out of a community working group of rural queer folks who were working without in the open. Um, it's called the Health Justice Working Group. And they planted the seed. And so this was a need that was also self-identified and then was given infrastructure and organizational support to be kind of like born into this, this thing. Yeah, that's just to say too that as we're thinking about expanding care and expanding access, we should also be doing that with the direct needs of the people we're trying to support in mind um, and what people are actually saying that they want and what they need. I think that community-based approach is so important, right? To really hear what people need and and work also with what we have and that we have to be very creative as we see this crumbling health system, which leads me actually to my next question is that I've seen that the situation in rural areas with healthcare have been called care deserts. And as I'm sure you know, the increasing closures of rural hospitals. And I had read that 
or here it is, that more than 180 rural hospitals closed since 2005. And we had done a show actually in 2019 with when Springfield Hospital went bankrupt and they closed their birthing center. And we had done a, a show on that and, and talked to a woman who had been using their center. And it, it, they attribute this to like rising drug, like phar pharmaceutical costs, and then there's a worker shortage. So I was curious what you know of what's happening in Vermont with rural clinics right now and, and how this affects all of us with these closures. Um, I can speak to this a little bit. Yeah, I mean, a lot of this is sort of the thinking and reasoning behind sort of why the heart program exists, right? Like knowing that there's just fewer and fewer options for folks um, to get to. And I think that across the country, we're seeing a lot of um, hospitals, right? Closing or being bought up by big corporations, which just doesn't um, do patients and their care justice often. A, we also um, out in the open does some work in Maine um, and one corporation basically took over all of the clinics and hospitals in the area, which um, had a huge impact on folks. So and, and I know I think we're we're lucky in some ways to have independent hospitals here still in Vermont, especially in southern Vermont. The overdevelopment of our care structures, I don't think often does does our care justice. Yeah. And then like, right, just to kind of like nail back that point about transportation, people already have to travel incredibly far for their care. And this just makes that more true. And that is a huge barrier for people. So they're, you know, it's not good for people receiving care. It's not good for independent providers and folks trying to do things differently on the ground. And it also is a reality in rural space. Yeah, I like that one of the components that you have here is that it's it includes transportation, right? If if or volunteer around getting people to appointments, that seems really key in rural spaces, especially, and that a lot of people don't have the the money or a reliable car, and so to have that kind of mutual aid support uh, is so essential, I think. Uh, the other thing too, and it is also a, another question, is that we I talk a lot about the continued privatization of health, which of course that that's a huge issue too of of why clinics are closing. And like you both mentioned, this these other corporate takeovers, like entities that that buy up places and just the gutting of health services. There's a lot of people that are losing their health care because of this these cuts to Medicaid that are happening that started April first. And there was this increased funding during the pandemic. It was called the Families First Coronavirus Response Act, but that people are now going to be losing those protections. And I know that Vermont Workers Center is doing a lot around that. And I was curious with the work that you're doing, if you connect with them or and, and like, of course, like, how is that affecting the people that you're working with? Yeah. So there, you know, there's some vagueness here, just like given our roles and what we can and can't speak to, but it is true that cuts to Medicaid are a very real reality for many Vermonters right now. And that inevitably that impacts the access to care for all rural folks and especially rural queer folks who are already having these other barriers in place. Yeah, Out in the Open hasn't worked really closely or deeply to collaborate with the Workers' Center, but we support their work and they're doing really amazing work. And so we encourage people to check out what they're doing. And they're also, I think, 
this past weekend was the LGBTQIA plus health summit um, that was put on in collaboration with lots of different organizations in Vermont, Outright, the Pride Center, and our organization as well. Um, and I, there was a session this past weekend that was a collaboration between um, the Worker Center and Out in the Open. And I know that our organization really supports their work and we're excited to continue to collaborate together. That's great to hear. And what the health summit that happened, where is, do either of you want to talk about anything else that came out of that health summit or conversations that were talked about? There were like a hundred people registered and it was a gathering for queer and trans folks and also for providers who wanted to build community and learn together about how to create better care and access. That is Noah and Frank that you're listening to here on Indigo Radio. Noah and Frank are health justice organizers for Out in the Open, working on LGBTQ plus issues throughout the community. And they were just talking to us about the HEART program and also wider rural issues around healthcare and getting our health needs met. So in the process of this, I also found out that Noah is a songwriter and they were very gracious in sending me a couple songs. And so I'm gonna play a song by Noah Isabella called Love Song and we will be back for the second part of the interview.
That was Love Sung by Noah Isabella. Noah, thank you so much. What a beautiful song. I loved listening to that. Thank you for sharing that with all of our listeners. And if you want to know more about Noah, let me just get their website here. It is Noah, uh, sorry, it is noahisabella.com. That is N O A I S A B E L L A. Dot com. They are a songwriter, an artist, an organizer, many things. So thank you. And we're going to go back to the interview. The second part of the interview is talking about the increasing number of trans anti-trans legislation across the nation and what um, anti-trans sentiment can look like in Vermont, remembering that Vermont is not unlike any other place, even though sometimes we pretend it is. <laughs> All of the hard issues of the world also show up in our spaces here in Vermont. And we talk a little bit about coalition building and some messages that they want to leave us with. So we're going to go to the second part of the interview. This is Anna for Indigo Radio. We are again are moving to our old time slot of noon on Sundays starting next week. And we'll also replay still on Mondays at 2 p.m. It feels that it's very important to when we're doing a show here with out in the open and talking about health and the rights and well-being of the LGBTQ community is to not at all gloss over the fact that that there's a record number of anti-trans laws. And I was reading that there's uh, and just the sentiment and conversations that are going on right now uh, from like banning healthcare to the conversation around the the sports and like quote same gender sports teams to like bathrooms, to IDs, and that I was reading here that there's over 100 bills, over 34 states, and in particular targeting youth. And I was hoping that you could talk a little bit about what maybe is the conversation around that in Vermont, and what do you think our listeners should be aware of? Maybe we'll start right there. I can kick us off, and then I'm going to pass it to you, Noah. So. Due, yeah, so due to the grant funding, we, no, and I can't speak on any specific bills. What we can say, though, is that there are a lot of similar types of bills here in Vermont, and that this is happening all over, but it is also happening right here, making Vermont this kind of, you know, welcoming and inclusive space that it prides itself on being takes practice, it takes work, it takes expansion of services, it takes expansion to access and that's a lot of what the HARP program is trying to do. Out in the Open doesn't currently do a lot of work with folks under the age of 18. And so I want to put a plug in for Outright Vermont because um, they're doing a really amazing job or they're doing a lot of incredible work with young folks. Noah, I'll let you take over. Yeah, I think another thing to note is that often folks relocate to Vermont for many different reasons, right? Like a lot of our Vermonters are new Americans. A lot of our Vermonters are moving here out of state 
Um, there's a lot more um, folks of color moving out of state. And so um, I think that it's important to note the connection of, you know, folks moving here to to get away from laws that don't protect their bodies or their minds. And that's, you know, not to demonize places, especially specifically in um, laws being particular laws being passed there or not. Yeah, I think there's so, so, so much to say about voting and elections and <laughs> like uh, policy, which, right, we can't really speak to. Um, but I, I think it's important to note that we can inspire and train folks and create community so that folks can get more language and learning around how to um, be welcoming to the folks that are joining our communities every day. I think it's happening more and more. And so Out in the Open does a lot of the work of just creating the spaces um, and opportunities to connect in ways that help us to be deeper and more committed community members. Yeah, I read somewhere around how it's a mistake to say something like, oh, the South is so different, that the South, the South is so quote unquote backward, or they're coming with all these repressive laws or legislation or rhetoric, and that it's actually quite dangerous to not acknowledge that it's also happening in quote unquote progressive states like Vermont. Yeah. And in, in those communities. And I see it here in my own work because I am at Clark University that calls itself very queer friendly and like have a lot of students that identify as queer and often get this label that they're quote like really progressive. And I often talk to my students about like, yeah, and like we can't fall into that trap because it may not be all the time. And that I think that there's sort of like a it's a slippery slope, I think, that we really have to see how like all of these things manifest in all of the spaces that we navigate, whether that's like at a place like Clark University or a place like Vermont. Yeah, Noah, go ahead. Um, absolutely. And I think, I mean, we even see this in our education and our learning spaces uh, in Vermont, where I think folks have in the social justice education space started to catch on around sort of what does it mean to have an affinity space, right? Or like, queer and trans folks get to be in a group together and talk about their experience separate from folks who are cis or who are not, you know, um, trans people or, you know, straight folks. And I think like still there's an enormous amount of learning in progressive spaces around the fact that a person can be black and queer, right? And maybe if we have affinity spaces for black folks and queer folks at the same time, then folks actually have to make really hard and unfair choices. And so I think, yeah, to to speak to the sort of um, practice of intersectionality, I think like across, you know, policy and then more sort of grassroots community building spaces, I think we're, we have a lot of learning to do. And I think Vermont often likes to claim a progressive identity, but maybe forgets the ways that we're complicit or have been, you know you know, conversations around the Underground Railroad, right? Like things like that. I think, yeah, there's still sort of a, a claim to a neutrality or a like an allyship that like I don't, that I think is actually pretty dangerous to assume. And, and it's something that we actively have to work on and commit ourselves to doing the unlearning. So yeah, I think things are, things are changing, but 
right the the dichotomy of like up north we're progressive and have all of our stuff together i think is excuses us often from really essential community work yeah i agree totally with what you said just then and the also this essential thing around coalition building and i think about health which a lot of today's show is on the focus of of health and health barriers and health or i think about climate too as and you could think about other issues but these ones are easy for me around these are issues that are going to impact all of us and do it may manifest differently in different ways right and it's important to look at the identity based struggles around say the trans issues in healthcare or race and health and also see that this is a crumbling health system and it's devastating to so many people and and how do we continue the, the, what you were talking about Noah these conversations to come together on on these things too right yeah so expanded access is expanded access for everyone and so even if that like even if we're talking about quote unquote gender affirming care you know hormone replacement therapy that's something that cisgendered people also need to be receiving double mastectomies that's something that cisgendered folks often get um, for any number of reasons. And so when we're looking at things that are trying to limit access to gender affirming care, it's notable that that's probably also limiting cis folks care. And not that that should be the reason why people push back against it, but just to recognize that this is connected um, and that expanded access for queer folks is also expanded access for all people. Yeah, this really, that what you just said leads into my next question, or maybe an expansion on my next question. So I heard someone say something great around this, this stuff around gender and sports, and how it's an easy way for the people behind these kind of legislation to poke people to like have this infighting around sort of like culture wars around oh yeah, only girls should play girls sports, like this sort of like, and and that that it's like riling people around it, which like, I think is, of course, like dangerous. What this person was saying, I'm not articulating this very well, but what they're saying is like, people are not seeing that this there's a whole other huge agenda here that is happening. So what leads to my question is that, what would you say is the significance of this fight for queer and trans rights, this conversation that's happening right now, and the larger implications for all of us. Because I think that um, there's, I, I feel like often people are not making that connection and will be like, oh, well, that's not my issue, or I'm not going to like engage in that. Like it, it's too political or whatever. But what would you say is the significance actually of, of the fight for LGBTQ rights? And, and the conversation that's going on right now. I think, right, to start, I think it's a conversation around autonomy over our bodies and our minds. And that's something that impacts everyone. Um, and so if there's a precedent that you do not have autonomy over your body, that trickles everywhere. So at its core, to say like, actually, yes, I do have that here. I have autonomy. I consent or I don't consent to XYZ, when that's respected, that also trickles everywhere. That also means that 
a lot more people are seeing their bodies given rights or are seeing their decisions being respected. So like on either side of that coin, there's implications for everyone. Yeah. And I think, you know, I th- I just think it's extremely powerful to expand our collective conversation and vocabulary around what does it actually look like to get our needs met, you know? And and how is that an unfair framework that we've been sort of that we've inherited in this country, you know, uh, noting the, you know, pick your self up by the bootstraps, right? Like that we all this sort of like embedded uh, belief belief that we should as individuals be able to get our needs met by ourselves. Like I think that that is not fair or accurate or helpful in in sort of yeah, feeling empowered and like things are possible and and so yeah, I think that I mean, I could speak forever about the medical industrial complex and how it's designed to uh get the needs met of very few people, none of which have marginalized identities. Um but yeah, I just I anyway, I just think there's an enormous amount of power in figuring out how do we create our own infrastructures that are life-giving, that are life-affirming, right? And that like are are responsive, um, that are co-created. And I think that that is where I get so excited about peer support is thinking about how can we give power back to the people to give give ourselves the resources that we need or to create the spaces and the dialogues necessary for us to even act to be able to name what we need in the first place. Yeah. I just, that is in a world and in a country and a society where it seems like our social support infrastructure is failing and also, right. Was it just wasn't designed to work for all of us. Um, I think it's the thing that gives me the most hope um, in this space as a black person who grew up rurally and queer and with chronic illness, you know, going to doctors and going to doctors and going to doctors and copays and copays, right? Like it's, yeah, I think it's the thing that gives me the most hope. So I just feel, yeah, extremely grateful to get to, to do this work um, and to do it in a way that honors an organizing legacy that just really centers giving autonomy and power, like Frank said, back to, back to people who deserve it. Yeah. Thanks for that. I, I love that. And it reminded me something you said, I was doing uh, something with my students around uh, the Atlanta forest defenders and, and cop city. And one of the activists said um, something to the effect of people are grasping for something else. And it, what you were saying, Noah, just made me think of that, of, I teach a lot of students who who are young, you know, they're 18, 19. And uh, I really see that uh, people know that something is very wrong and like maybe can't articulate it all the times, but like want to see a more humane world and that these infrastructures are crumbling. And also I think what you just said too, is that also, some of them are acting just as they were meant to, like the like the police, for instance, right? And the history of the police. So, yeah, I think that's really important what you're saying. With our time winding down here, I have two more questions for you just to go out on. 
One is um, if you could tell us how people can get involved with heart would be great for our listeners. And we can also put this out on our social media too. Yeah. So I can speak to the Wyndham County side of this. I'm working on onboarding some volunteers right now, but we still need more folks. And so this applies to both of us, but if you want to stay in the loop with what's going on, you can follow us on Instagram at we are out in the open and you can find the application to be a volunteer in Wyndham County there. And sometime in the future, there will be opportunities up north for that. Um, and if you're looking for support in Wyndham County, stay tuned. That will be live sometime in mid-May. And so just keep an eye on our socials and stay tuned. Um, and yeah, if you are in the Northeast Kingdom and you feel excited about offering support to your community, you can right, find us on Instagram. Like Frank said, you can find us on our website at weareoutintheopen.org. Is there anything else? Like Some upcoming events to plug. Yes. Uh, oh, great. That's what I need. Would you like me to do that? <laughs> <laughs> I can do that. <laughs> yeah. So Out in the Open has some exciting events coming up. There's going to be a farm work day sometime in late May. Um, there's not a date picked yet, but keep an eye on our socials for that. Um, the Pride Family Potluck is coming up on June 11th. There's going to be the Vermont Summit sometime in October. And if you're listening and you're in Maine, um, sometime in August, we'll have a summit there. So keep an eye on our website, our socials. You can subscribe to the newsletter to get updates. Okay, great. You all are doing so much great work. And the the last thing I wanted to ask you both is, is there anything I didn't ask you that you want to make sure that is out there to our listeners or any last thoughts you have? I know that there's many topics here that we could have spent the whole hour on, but yeah, if there's any last thoughts that you have that, you, that you'd like us to hear. I'm like struck with like, uh, what an opportunity, you know? I was going to say, maybe I can ask the question a different way or, or a different sort of question is there anything that you, any message you want to send to Vermonters or to youth or to parents, caregivers around the, the fight for, for health and, and for uh, trans and queer LGBTQ rights? I just want to say, yeah, as a Black queer person in Vermont, I really just want to speak to especially the queer and trans folks of color that have lived in the state for years and years and years and years and sometimes who leave the state because it's too hard that yeah I see you we see you we've been out here and yeah I just feel so grateful to get to try to work to support support us yeah <laughs> yeah I mean I think I want to say hang in there and keep cultivating your truth and keep nourishing that as much as you can and know that there is community that has your back and that loves you even if you're not in it right now and that you haven't found it yet it's right there and so just hang in there and yeah we'll find you eventually and it's gonna be okay really beautiful gorgeous Thank you for those. Yeah, thank you. 
helpful to hear and hear again and again. So I really want to thank you for your time today and for all the great work that Out in the Open is doing and that you both are doing. And we will be sure to post those the information about the heart program. So thank you so much awesome. for being with us today. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Okay, we're back. And this is Anna for Indigo Radio. And I want to give another big shout out and thank you to Frank Austin and Noah Isabella. Frank, I'm sorry if I mispronounced your last name. I think I did that at the beginning of the show. And yeah, thank you so much for your time spent with me. It was really great to be in conversation with you and to learn more about the HEART program. I really encourage everyone to check that out. You can find all their information at the Out in the Open website, which is weareoutintheopen.org. And another just note about the LGBTQ plus farm workday is happening May 20th in Newfane, Vermont, and it's 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. It says, join us for a day of planting, mulching, and being together. Bring the whole family. You can link, uh, there's a registration link to find out also about COVID precautions, accessibility, location, and what to bring. So it's a great day to be together and be outside and taking care of each other. So I encourage you all to look at that. And I want to give a shout out to HB, who is the executive director of Out and Open and also a good friend of mine. So just want to say, hey, HB, uh, but also to all of the people that are working for Out in the Open and all the great that work that you're doing in our community and throughout Vermont and also in Maine. So check out all the great work. Thanks again to Frank and Noah. And since we have a little bit of time here, I just wanted to, I was looking up uh, the great American writer, James Baldwin. He was an openly gay African-American writer, and he lived through the battle for civil rights. A television interviewer once asked Baldwin to describe the challenges he faced starting his career as, quote, a black, impoverished homosexual, end of quote, to which, Bald to which Baldwin laughed and replied, quote, I thought I hit the jackpot, end quote. And I came across a quote of his that I feel like is ties to this show also. And he wrote, this is James Baldwin, you have to go the way your blood beats. If you don't live the only life you have, you won't live some other life. You won't live any life at all. So I just want to put that out there uh, with this show too and what Frank and Noah were saying at the end, messages for all of us around supporting our youth and the continued fight for all of our rights and how we can keep coming together around all of this and, and live our lives full of dignity. So I wanna thank everyone. We're gonna go out with another song by Noah Isabella. And I have to issue another apology. <laughs> Noah, I, I believe the first song that I played was called Circle, not Love Song. And the second song here that we're going to go out with is a song called Bottom of the Barrel. And again, that's by songwriter Noah Isabella, who was on the show today. 
So we're going to go out with that. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And we will be back next week with an all-new show. A reminder that we are going to be on the air at noon on Sunday moving forward. And we will still play. We will still replay Mondays at 2 p.m. And you can find us both on Instagram and on Facebook. This show is being recorded and it's going to be uploaded to the SoundCloud and iTunes. So you can catch it all there. Please share with your friends and communities these important issues that we put out on the air. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Here is Noah Isabella. It's the bottom of the barrel. It's the turning of the tide when the door slams shut and all we got the storybook lies It's the bottom of the bottle That done did my daddy wrong Please forgive me, Lord above me For moving on It's the honey in the bedroom who grows and grows apart Curse the loving and the missing Then break our little hearts What's that turning of the season Like the autumn rushing in Please forgive me, Lord above me forgiving If attempting kind of loving isn't truly what you want, if the bottom of the bottle isn't filling that old spot, it's the glory of the sunrise when the wind comes blowing. Please forgive me, Lord above me, for leaving you. And if the bottom of the bottle 
doesn't fill that old spot Then it's the glory of the sunrise When the wind come blowing through Please forgive me, Lord above me 